Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody. It's episode number seven of the Announcer Schedule podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gill, along with the uh, proprietor, I guess you would say, of the Announcer Sked's uh, Twitter account. You know him on Announcer Sked's, S-K-E-D-S, on Twitter. Phil DeMontmolin is back for another week as we take a look at all the Announcer Schedule news, who's going where, uh, and we have a lot of different things we're going to touch on this week. We also have a big get this week. Last week, we talked to Kevin Kugler. Uh, we've talked to John Forslund. Uh, we've had some really good interviews. Larry Colmus, if you missed any of our interviews on the Sports Media Watch feed, you can go back and we single them out. So you can just listen to the interviews if you like. So if you missed Kevin Kugler, John Forslund, Bob Wischusen, Larry Colmus, uh, still maybe my favorite so far. Colmus' stories were outstanding. We're going to have a similar one to Colmus this week. NBC, uh, their lead race announcer, Rick Allen, is going to join us. Uh, the NASCAR season's over on NBC now, and he has the call this weekend in Atlanta. Uh, so I'm looking forward, Phil, to hearing Rick Allen's stories and another, like Larry, a very unique um, genre. You know, you, you don't see a lot of crossover with race announcers where you see, like, hey, a football guy will call baseball or a baseball guy will call basketball and so on and so forth. These race announcers are so specifically talented at what they do and so intertwined with their sport. Rick Allen should be a good one today. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to Rick Allen and dig into the unique parts of being a NASCAR announcer. You know, like you mentioned, we've talked to Larry Colmus as far as horse racing. We've talked to football, baseball, basketball types as well. But it'll be interesting to dig into motorsports a bit later in the show with Rick. Yeah, that should be fun. And don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, like us, leave a review, questions. If you want something that you want to hear us kind of uh, chew the fat on a little bit, you can uh, leave that in the comments section as well. We're on the Sports Media Watch feed. You can check out all the podcasts. Tell us a story I don't know. George Offman, uh, fantastic stories uh, that he leads off on Tuesdays. TJ and John Lewis over at the SportsMediaWatch.com page. Uh, they have all the kind of the industry news, ratings, that kind of stuff on Wednesdays. And then Phil and I, we talk more about the announcers and, and where they're going, uh, where they might call, different storylines in there. It's almost like a WWE wrestling storyline here. Who's going to get the number two job at Fox, that kind of stuff. So uh, we got a good show for you on the podcast today. We hope you're uh, sharing it with your friends and like and subscribe so when you get that notification on Thursday mornings, you, know, you bring us with us, you on your drive to work. Uh, we drop it usually around uh, sometime Thursday morning is when you can find Phil 
and I on the announcer schedule podcast. And Phil, uh, I, I think we're going to start off today with a story that, you know, over the weekend, because it was a holiday weekend, it did get some play. I know ESPN did a really nice piece on Hammer and Hank Goldberg. I know my childhood, really, I don't want to say my childhood. When I was in college, Hammer and Hank was the guy on Sunday morning. He would give you a couple plays. Back when it was a little taboo to talk gambling, Hammer and Hank was the guy. He owned South Beach. He owned the Florida. He does what I do. He was a sports talk radio host, but he made it national. Uh, but uh, horse racing, too. We had Larry Colmas on. That's another side. I mean, just a, a stalwart in the industry. And you have a unique connection with Hank. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mike. And, uh, you know, some tough news over the weekend. Hank Goldberg, the longtime horse racing and NFL uh, analyst, um, prognosticator, handicapper. Uh, he died over the weekend on July 4th, which happened to be his birthday as well. So some, you know, some a crazy coincidence there uh, dies at, at 82 years old. And, you know, Hank, as you, as you mentioned, was part of my childhood and my upbringing as a sports fan. Uh, no doubt about that. You know, I grew up in Miami and, you know, started my career down in Miami. Miami's what I call home, even though I'm now up in the, the mountains of, Western North Carolina, and Hank had an incredibly um, huge presence down there in Miami, uh, no doubt about it. And just a, a little more background on Hank in, in case our listeners aren't that aware of, you know, wh where he came from and so forth. You know, he grew up actually up uh, your neck of the woods up in New Jersey, and his father was a sports writer. And so Hank was hanging around sports from a very young age, including the New York Yankees. He became friends with Joe DiMaggio as a child, a friendship that remained throughout his entire life. And he lived kind of this, you know, I saw one um, obituary use the term Forrest Gump, you know, like a Forrest Gump existence as far as like all these opportunities and these you know, um, encounters he had throughout his life. He ends up going to Miami in the advertising agency business. He becomes a PR hand for the Miami Dolphins when they begin as an expansion team and gets close to guys like Don Shula and so forth, becomes the radio analyst for the Miami Dolphins, uh, working with a play-by-play -play announcer, Rick Weaver, for, for many years uh, through the 1980s, including the you know, the big Dan Marino years and that kind of thing. Meanwhile, he is the ghostwriter for Jimmy the Greek Snyder, who folks may remember from the NFL Today on CBS. So Goldberg working very closely with Jimmy the Greek Snyder, who was sort of the original in this kind of thing as far as a prognosticator and a gambling expert. And uh, so Hank's working closely with him, learning about the, the odds and handicapping. Meanwhile, that interest in horse racing that you mentioned, uh, he got his start at Monmouth Park, which uh, Larry Colmas had, had mentioned to us as well. And then he continues down in Miami and sports talk radio starts to come on the scene, just like it did in different markets throughout the country. And Hank was one of the very first ones originally on a station, WIOD, the, the big news talk station in Miami, which was just a Goliath in terms of talk radio. And then, and then to the sports talk 24-hour um, station, 560 WQAM, where he had a long run, very successful, especially with his afternoon drive show. He had a number of 
disciples who went on to big things, including one of our guests on an earlier show. You may, you may remember Bob was choosing mentioning Hank when we were talking about his, his early days in sports talk radio. Uh, Bob was a producer and also an update guy uh, for the Hank Goldberg show. Also, John Boog Shambi was one of those early uh, producers and personalities who, you know, um, was able to be groomed under Hank Goldberg. And, you know, Stu Gotts from the Dan Levitard show was a producer for Hank Goldberg before he became an on-air personality. Now, I I have had uh, Stu Gotts on my show before. I also just had Boog Shambi on my show on Friday, Phil, uh, he was on with me Friday because he called the, the Sunday night baseball game. He's the ESPN Sunday night baseball play-by-player. And uh, we had it's, – it's very interesting that uh, he was on Friday, and then here's Hank that passes away uh, on Monday. And I actually have a call. We were going to play this a little bit later, but since you just brought up Boog, uh, because he did call the Sunday night baseball game, I do have a call from Boog queued up from Sunday Night Baseball this week. So let's take a listen to Boog Shambi on uh, this home run call from Sunday Night Baseball. Swing and a high fly ball. Well struck left field. On its way, gone. Reese Hoskins will touch them all. His 17th of the year. And the Phillies jump in front. One to nothing on a homer into the left field seats. There you go, Book Shambi, uh, Sunday Night Baseball. I had him on Saturday, and he's a kind of a Hank Goldberg disciple. We had Bob Wischusen, as you mentioned, a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing how – and Bob talked about this. You know, remember he talked about your internship is kind of like you're doing your, your hours for a doctor or, you're, you know, when you're, you're doing your hours that you need to do to become a doctor. And, you know, he said your internship's everything. Making connections is everything. And now we have Bob Wischusen on the announcer schedule podcast. Book Shambi was on my show, all connected to Hank Goldberg. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, me going into the business of, you know, media and public relations and sports down in Miami, I got to know all these, you know, young guys who were working under Hank. And, you know, there's many, many more who, who have gone on to, to careers in, in sports. And, you know, Hank, uh, you know, looked out for these guys and was – was incredibly loyal to them and stayed in touch with them throughout his life and that kind of thing. Hank eventually goes national, you know, going to, to ESPN and becoming really kind of the, the expert handicapper on SportsCenter and analyzing horse racing and that kind of thing and really uh, became a big voice. He had some really impressive results too, especially in those those early years on ESPN that you know, gave him credibility as a as a handicapper, and you know, just just kind of amazing. You know, the the life and career of Hank Goldberg. You know, I got to know him personally um, quite a bit in those early years when I was a, a young sports information director down at the University of Miami. Uh, I was really close with one of his best friends, a guy named Sonny Hirsch, who was the longtime play-by-play announcer for the University of Miami Hurricanes. Uh, he had done that for decades and was really close friends with with Hank Goldberg and and I remember at Sonny Hirsch's funeral he died uh, much younger than than Hank um Hank uh you know um picked up the tab at the reception at Don Shula's resort uh for all of us and and was just there until the wee hours you know telling stories about Sonny and so forth so um I think the world of Hank Goldberg um you know I know a lot of people um are thinking about him uh this week and uh, I just wanted to spend some time and, and really reflect on just a remarkable career, you know, uh, two decades with, with ESPN calling, you know, 
uh, those uh, picks for, for NFL and for horse racing, but also that influence he had in the sports talk radio world as well. Just an incredible legacy for the kind of things we talk about. Yeah, that would be uh, those Sunday mornings with was it Chris McKendry, I think, uh, kind of an odd pairing, but they really played off each other pretty well um, on those Sundays, and, and he would give the picks, and he had the hammer. I uh, always remember those Sundays in college, Hammer and Hank, uh, 82 years old. Um, all right, well, let's stay in the NFL because Hank was an NFL guy, and, and we talked horse racing. We did have Larry Colmas on, so if you missed that interview a couple weeks ago, if you're a horse racing uh, connection to Hank, go check out Larry. You're an NFL uh, connection to Le- Hank. we got Bob Wachusett, who has a connection with Hank. So a lot of connections on this sports, um, on this announcer schedule podcast on the Sports Media Watch feed to Hank Goldberg. And with that, I know Hank would be excited that we're one month away from football. The Hall of Fame game is going to be on NBC, and that's on August the 4th. We're getting there, Phil. Yeah, it's it's uh, right here. Um, before we know it, we're going to be talking football, both NFL and college football, and Jaguars Raiders on NBC Thursday, August the 4th from Canton, Ohio, the Hall of Fame game, and um, that'll be the – the debut as far as the the new crew at NBC, even though these are very familiar names, you know, Mike Tirico and Chris Collinsworth, uh, but Tirico taking over, you know, full time for, for Al Michaels in that number one NBC uh, spot. And Melissa Stark, by the way, we haven't mentioned her, you know, she'll be the sideline reporter now for, for NBC as well. You know, um, she's she has a bunch of experience in that role. So that should be great to see in, in terms of the NBC coverage. And then Westwood one will be carrying that game as well. Um, haven't seen anything officially, but you, you have to assume it'll be the, the uh, number one team there, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner. So looking forward to uh, the start of football will be here before we know it. Now, speaking of NBC real quick, um, and, and you mentioned Melissa Stark, Rebecca Lowe, right? A lot of people thought she might get that job, but she's going to stick with NBC. She's going to go to the premier stuff, right? She's going to start, uh, transitioning. Um, well, her name was kind of bounced around. Not people didn't think she would get that job because she's been in the NBC market. But while the Premier League, she'll go and do Premier League stuff um, over on uh, NBC. That's right. And um, you know, this was an opening from uh, Michelle Tafoya, who, who you know who left sports to go into to other areas. And uh, yeah, you know it. You know, I know there was some speculation as far as who was going to get that NBC sideline reporter job, but uh, it will indeed be Melissa Stark. Yep, Melissa Stark over there. Uh, so the, she's back. I mean, it's. Uh, I feel like uh, where is um, Ahmad Rashad, right, uh, doing the, uh, the – what was that, uh, the, NB, the NBA stuff? Uh, what was the name of that show with the Melissa Stark and – and Ahmad Rashad, man, back in like the early '90s, there I can't remember, but uh, yeah, on, on NBC, right? Yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with all that coverage of Michael Jordan and and, and uh, all that, it, it probably in that that Last Dance documentary, they they use some of that there footage. Uh, Somebody no listening out there, it. sent us a tweet with the name of the show. Well, we might think of it by the end of today's podcast, but if you're if you're listening and you remember the show with Ahmad Rashad, the NBA, um, let us know. All right, uh, speaking of football, the USFL season one. Is in the books. Uh, the USFL was it Birmingham beat Philadelphia, I think. Yeah, that's right. Birmingham, the USFL champs. Kind of ironic because they played the whole season at Birmingham until the semifinals and the championship, which they moved to Canton, Ohio. Then Birmingham wins it there, um, away from their home field. Uh, there was a nice crowd out there. I didn't see the the actual uh, official attendance, but 
you know, they filled the stadium pretty good for that championship game. So that was good to see. And, you know, we mentioned before that matters in terms of the TV product, uh, I believe, you know, in terms of, you know, giving that, you know, sort of ambiance and feel. And uh, Kurt Menefee, Joel Klatt, Brooke, Brock Heward, once again, on the call on Fox. And all indications are that league will return yeah. next spring. Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, uh, Jason Garrett was broadcasting games. He he ended up now getting an NFL job because of this. So it's a good training ground for not only players but broadcasters as well. That's right. Yeah, uh, Jason Garrett was over on that NBC side of the the coverage, and you know, saw a couple quotes from some NBC executives as well who seemed pleased with the performance of the league and and how it all went. So yeah, we'll see if if this continues on. And I know there's a, a couple other you know. Um, spring football possibilities also coming before we know it. But yeah, XFL you know, is due 3.0 to start next spring, so you're going to have head-to-head spring leagues. and We'll really see how that's going to happen. Although yeah, well, it opens up a lot of broadcasting opportunities. Yep, more broadcasting opportunities, no doubt, and, and it'll be interesting to see on the XFL side, you know, if the same approach is taken as far as also kind of a, you know, laboratory for some of these new technologies and, and new production rollouts. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's the USFL season one of the relaunch of that in the books, a successful broadcast season. And Garrett's doing what? NBC Sunday night football. Is he going to be on the Sunday night football uh, pregame? Is he going to be a part of that, Garrett? I believe so. I might have to double check that one, Mike. But uh, he did, in fact, get a network job through the the whole process. You are correct. Yeah, so he's going to be a part of, uh, I think, Sunday Night Football, that whole pregame alignment that they do there. Speaking of alignment, we got major, major realignment in college football. Uh, So what are the implications? Because I know if you're listening to TJ and John, over at the Sports Media Watch, uh, the realignment in the Big Ten, they're up for their bid right now to try to get a new deal and getting USC and UCLA to the Big Ten in a couple of years, that's going to turn these TV deals upside down. So what are some of the implications now on the broadcast side? Yeah, it's absolutely wild what's going on in college football, and you got the the impression that we're not done yet by any stretch of the imagination as far as all this reshuffling of conferences. No, they're and talking about the, the ACC and the Pac-12 merging and maybe having a championship game between those two. You've got six Pac-12 teams talking to the Big 12 about joining them. It's a mess right now. Yeah, it, it just goes on and on. But, the, you know, the big seismic news from, you know, the past couple of days, you see it. USC and UCLA both joining the Big Ten, uh, just making that a, a super conference of sorts. And, you know, the Big Ten, like you mentioned, their media rights were due up this summer. And there was already some substantial bidding reportedly going on between different networks and also, you know, some of these streaming services. And that's sort of the X factor in all this. Now suddenly is is Apple and, and Amazon a player in the college fo- football side of things as well. And, you know, how this all shakes out certainly has implications for announcers and announcer hirings and pairings and, and that kind of thing. You know, college football up to this time in terms of network television and the announcer side of things has 
you know, been ESPN for the lion's share. You know, if you were to look at just the number of opportunities and jobs out there, most of them are with ESPN just because of their inventory of college games. You know, then there's the Fox package, and then there's also uh, CBS, who, you know, uh, ESPN has, you know, wrestled away the SEC package from them in a couple of years. So it's interesting to see if this is going to be a bit of a reset in terms of what networks will be carrying uh, the lion's share of the games, especially the big games across these uh, different conferences. And the Big Ten is a big, big player in this whole musical chairs of a different variety. We've been talking about the NFL musical chairs. This might be a couple years down the road before it all shakes out and, and trickles down to the announcers. But, you know, just thinking about things like, bowl games and you know conference championship games and certainly you know the inventory on any given saturday espn and fox you know have really dominated the landscape as far as the the inventory there and we'll see how that shifts and in turn there could be quite a few transactions in terms of the announcers yeah and you can make a strong argument that these conferences are doing what they're doing with influence from espn and fox Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, that's always kind of been the, you know, elephant in the room or, you know, it's sort of like the, the, the worst kept secret is that, in fact, the networks are driving the bus and all this. And when you look at the money involved, there's no surprise. Yeah, um, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know that I can get into a UCLA-Maryland game on a Saturday afternoon. I mean, that, I don't know that that's pushing my pile all that much in a Big Ten matchup, but... Um, I'm sure there's plenty of money to be made with that L.A. market. And as you mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, broadcasting jobs can probably spin off because of this, uh, because some higher profile games, more games on TV, more streaming services getting involved, which means more announcers getting involved. Speaking of announcers, how about the Learfield National Radio game? You know, people don't realize this. There are multiple radio national outlets that uh, that broadcast games weekly you've got westwood one sports usa learfield uh touchdown radio which is a uh, gino toretta he has that crew down there um i feel like i'm forgetting so espn radio does a college game every weekend and and, and probably some others so there's a lot of national broadcasts college football every week on radio now learfield's getting in the game yeah, it's actually year two of this Learfield package. And, you know, Learfield's a major player in college athletics. You know, they own all sorts of rights to all sorts of properties, um, trickling down to, to things like, you know, websites and uh, the game programs you read at the, the stadium, um, not to mention a bunch of media deals, you know, across college sports especially on the a lot of the local broadcast are Learfield productions. And, you know, they use this kind of national sales force uh, to uh, make a lot of that happen on the business end. But year two of this Learfield National Game of the Week last year was year one of this package. And Mike Golick Sr. was the analyst um, after leaving ESPN. So he was able to, you know, keep going in terms of, 
you know, being able to call some college football games. And Kate Scott, who we've mentioned on the show before and is up your way with the 76ers now, she was the play-by-play announcer. This year's pairing is Mike Golick Jr. He takes over the analyst role. Um, He has moved on and and has taken on a bunch of new projects, including a deal with DraftKings. And Sloan Martin, who is the voice of the Minnesota Lynx, Uh, She'll be the play-by-play announcer. So second straight year, a female play-by-play announcer for the the Learfield package. Second straight year, a Golick in the analyst seat. And uh, it'll be uh, fun to hear Sloan Martin and Mike Golick Jr. And and cool to see Learfield kind of investing in this sort of project, you know, as far as a national game of the week, kind of spotlighting a big national game on uh, typically Saturday nights during the college football season. Yeah, now I've had Golick Sr. on before talking about – you know, that and his pairing with Kate Scott. He loved working with Kate. He said they had a lot of fun. Uh, it's interesting, you know, a little tidbit on Kate. You know, obviously she's the play-by-player for the Sixers. But during the season in the fall, she would miss a lot of Saturday Sixer broadcast. Uh, I'm wondering if that's going to happen this year. Is she going to be out for some of those Sunday games? Uh, I know she caught a lot of Pac-10 games or Pac-12 games. Uh, so she would miss those Sixers Sunday night games. And the radio broadcaster, Tom McGinnis, would go to television uh, in her absence. So he must have called at least four or five games this past year uh, with her absence here. Yeah, I I would assume with this news that um, Sloan Martin is now the the play-by-play announcer on this Learfield package, that's probably going to free up Kate that much more in terms of uh, Sixers games. You know, um, Lisa Byington's in a similar situation with the the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, She's the announcer over there and she had some sort of you know grandfathered in um, assignments as well uh, across different networks last year and so she was juggling those so it'll be interesting to see you know both Lisa and Kate whether they you know are able to be freed up for their primary assignment now which seems to be you know that the NBA market uh, television all right uh, let's go to major league baseball had a unique setup this weekend over on the streaming service peacock where the royals and tigers played with no announcers phil the announcer schedule podcast talking about a game that had no announcers yeah so no announcers in the booth and i didn't get a chance to catch this i didn't see that much even you know discussion about it after the fact a lot of people were kind of talking about it leading up to the game. So I'm not even sure unless you caught some of it, Mike, you know, how it went off necessarily. But uh, what Peacock did was they used three announcers who did kind of a roving um, tour through the stadium at Comerica Park in Detroit. Um, Ahmed Farid was the host of the show. Brittany Yurton, who's a reporter who does a bunch of, you know, horse racing and that kind of thing for NBC Uh, She was part of the crew and also Tigers broadcaster Craig Monroe. And I'm not sure exactly how it went off, but uh, no announcers in the booth, a uh, untraditional broadcast, and uh, we'll have to keep an eye on Peacock if they try that again. And that'll probably be the barometer whether they thought it was a success or not. Yeah, we'll see if uh, they try to do some other. As you mentioned, I didn't see it, but I also didn't see anybody talking about it. So how many people were paying attention? Don't know. And we don't know how these streaming games are doing, right? We don't have an idea of uh, are they gaining subscribers? Is this working? Is it growing? Uh, I guess we won't find that out for a little while or you know, a couple of years maybe to see if this has been a success or failure for these streaming services. But what we do know, streaming's here. We've got multiple platforms, Peacock, Apple Plus, uh, Amazon Prime, 
They're all in the sports game, and probably, Phil, you're going to see more of it. We know uh, the football game's coming to Amazon Prime uh, Thursday night football exclusively. So get your streaming service. You're going to get Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet there uh, on that Thursday night football game. Okay, let's go to Michael K. He does the uh, A-Rod, K-Rod cast. I guess you could call it the K-Rod cast. That's the Sunday night alternate programming on ESPN2. Well, no Michael K. this week. Yeah, so they had a K-Rod cast lined up for, for this week's Sunday night baseball game. And uh, the day of the, the game, Michael K. Uh, tweeted out that uh, he had a COVID uh, situation and was going to be unable to you know, uh, participate in that broadcast. So Kevin Connors quickly stepped into that role. Um, folks know him as a studio host, uh, college football, Major League Baseball, Sports Center um, anchor as well. And uh, he was able to, to step in quickly for Michael Kay. Um, so, you know, good to see, you know, uh, opportunity like that for, for Kevin Connors. I know they had a lot of big guests on this past week. And, you know, hopefully Michael Kay will be back doing what he does before long. Uh, and then we have a uh, Hall of Fame uh, recognition here. Yeah, the San Diego Padres is inducting Ted Leitner into the Padres Hall of Fame. We've talked about it before how, you know, these local baseball announcers, uh, you know, their longevity. Well, Leitner was with the Padres as the radio voice for 41 seasons. And uh, he stepped away from the the Padres booth. Uh, He continues as the voice of the San Diego State Aztecs uh, men's basketball and and football programs. And uh, Leitner will be honored with a Hall of Fame induction. Um, By the way, Jesse Agler, who's another one with South Florida ties, uh, he is now the the radio voice of the Padres, replacing Leitner. Uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. is the analyst. Uh, Agler has been involved in that broadcast for a couple years, but, you know, he's he's been the lead uh, radio play-by-player these last couple seasons. And, you know, the Padres are an interesting operation because they have a one of the more popular television announcing crews as well. Dan Orsillo, the play-by-play announcer who – you know, a lot of people loved up in Boston as the Red Sox announcer for years. He also does some national work on on TBS. And Mark Grant is his analyst. And those two take a very uh, comedic approach to their 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 uh, style on air. So um, congratulations to Ted Leitner uh, inducted into the Padres Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll keep an eye on that market as well, San Diego. Yeah, they've had Matt Maskersian, who, of course, did Sunday Night Baseball. They also had Dick Enberg uh, call games there. Uh, so they've had some pretty big-time uh, national-level broadcasters in little old San Diego, which is kind of a small market, right? Small market, but uh, what a place to you know be able to live and, and hang out. You know, It's often oh, yeah. talked about maybe the best weather in the country. Uh, all right, let's, uh, you know, a, a sport we don't bring up too much because it doesn't get a lot of time, but it dominates uh, for a week here. Wimbledon, if you turn on your TV and you're looking for the debate shows, you're not getting them because you're getting tennis on ESPN and ESPN2. Wimbledon, uh, this is the week they own. Yeah, you know, like you said, kind of round the clock coverage, uh, no doubt about it, on ESPN. Uh, you know, we'll see folks like Chris Fowler, who, who's really settled into that role as the, the lead tennis announcer for 
ESPN. John McEnroe, his brother Patrick McEnroe, are, are always you know fun characters on the broadcast. And then a, a lot of folks on the you know the women's side as well. Uh, Mary Jo Fernandez, Pam Shriver. Um, you know they they've got a, a cast of thousands over there at ESPN who who know the sport inside and out. So. You know, a good watch, if you ask me, you know, um, not quite the significance, at least, you know, from my viewpoint that the sport in Wimbledon once had, you know, back in the, you know, the 80s and, and so forth when it was truly must watch TV, you know, but, you know, certainly continues to be a big factor in the sports world. And, you know, we may have a Djokovic Nadal final this weekend so you know that certainly would drive a bunch of interest if yeah, that happens. in fact there was a story uh john McEnroe said he, he was pushing espn less uh less nfl ota talk more tennis talk he wants the network to cover more tennis leading into wimbledon so that there is more recognition and buzz leading into the tournament i don't know that the tv execs are going to go for that though yeah, that you know, that's tough to compete, not just with the NFL, but also NBA free agency, you know, dominating a lot of the, you know, the, the news cycle as well. All right. Uh, coming up in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with uh, Rick Allen. Uh, this past weekend was Road America week two of the NASCAR series on NBC, the USA Network. And Rick's going to join us. We'll have a good conversation with him. But you got the NASCAR races on NBC now after Fox, the first half. Now over to NBC, Rick Allen's going to be joining us here, and uh, we'll, we'll be kind of going through his. Uh, I think Rick does do a, some basketball, if, if memory serves. I'll have to, I think I've heard him do maybe like the A-10 or one of those conferences. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. Uh, you know, part of NBC and what's now on USA Network, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning NBC uh, Sports Network, NBCSN, um, you know, went off the air uh, at the the turn of this past new year and USA Network, you know, took over, you know, a lot of that inventory that was on NBCSN, which includes some of the NASCAR coverage, including this weekend's race in Atlanta. That'll be on USA Network, um, includes things like the Tour de France and, you know, some of these Olympic sports that you would be used to seeing on NBCSN. Um, it also includes, like you mentioned, the, the Atlantic 10 um, package, you know, and they give that conference some really good coverage on, on that network and, you know, give it some, some great play. You know, I know some of those schools don't, don't have necessarily, you know, these huge brand name followings. Um, but it is a, a tradition rich conference in college basketball. And, you know, once again, more, more national opportunities for announcers and you're right. Uh, Rick Allen, uh, did a couple of those games, play-by-play Atlantic 10 college basketball. All right, so we'll have to ask him about that as well. Uh, But let's, uh, before Rick jumps on with us here, let's get a uh, call or two, if we can, from Rick Allen. Uh, He's joining us coming up in just a few moments on the Announcer's Schedule podcast. Here is some of uh, Rick Allen's best calls. Here we go. They're side by side for second. Two car link lead for Dale Earnhardt Jr. as they work their way through one and two, and down the back stretch they go. Junior blocking the lower line. Does that give the advantage to the 48? Junior jumps up in front of Jimmy Johnson. To the bottom. 
bottom of the racetrack. Dale Earnhardt Jr. trying to stay in front of the pack. They work their way through three and four. Into the triumph they come. Dale Earnhardt Jr. to the bottom of the track. Jr. will win in Daytona. And the big one happens behind them. Oh, my God. assist these drivers. Thumbs going up from all the crew members and the crowd roars. All right, there you go. That was uh, back in 2017 and uh, very interesting. I mean, you have the, the amazing close to that race, Phil, and then obviously you have all sorts of chaos ensuing and he does a great job of kind of separating both. Yeah, that was the 2015 Coke Zero 400 at Daytona international speedway um the big july 4th race and a lot going on there in some huge uh, stories not to mention just the excitement of that finish dale Earnhardt jr winning the race you know you know the uh, very popular if not most popular driver in nascar at that time and then that huge wreck as the the you know checkered flag flew and the idea of safety and driver safety and and whether you know the health of the driver is okay being paramount uh austin dillon in the three car and rick allen able to report that the crew members have the thumbs up that means that the driver is okay and able to kind of make that you know the the priority at the moment which certainly um was indeed the priority and so you know a lot to juggle there uh would love to to hear you know Rick's thoughts on that call in particular, and uh, yeah, great job, kind of you know sorting all that out and bringing the viewers all the action. And we've got another one from Rick before he jumps on with us. Let's get another one from him to get you kind of ready for our conversation with him. This is from November twentieth, two thousand sixteen, the Ford Echo Beast four hundred. Take a listen to Rick Allen here uh, on the Announcer Schedule podcast. My side. <laughs> This time by, flight flag in the air, one more time around from Miami. Jimmy Johnson has never won at Homestead Miami Speedway, but he's never been in a position where he's had to win for a championship. Down the back stretch he goes. A half a lap away from the championship. Jimmy Johnson through three and four. Make room, Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. There's another seven-time champ. Jimmy Johnson wins his seventh NASCAR Sprint Cup Championship. And that was Rick Allen on the call there. Good stuff, Phil, as he gives you the history right as he crosses the line, letting you know uh, that he made history with that win. Yeah, historical moment there. Uh, Seven-time NASCAR Cup champion Jimmy Johnson joining some, you know, elite company. You know, interesting there, you know, that that final race of the year at Homestead Miami Speedway, NASCAR changed their format a, a number of years ago. You know, this this idea of kind of playoffs and a, a chase for a championship. And you're basically watching two things at once. You're watching the championship standings and who's going to be crowned the, the new cup champion 
as the race shakes out, but also the race winner of that individual race. This was a situation where, you know, the race winner, um, Jimmy Johnson also won the championship and then that historical significance. And then that idea of letting it breathe that we've talked about a bunch on the show, you know, after Johnson crosses the finish line, uh, letting the um, sounds of the uh, speedway, as well as, you know, the, the radio uh, chatter, uh, do some of the uh, communication there and letting the sights and sounds tell the story as much as anything, you know, part of that art of television play-by-play. All right, well, let's learn more about The Voice, the lead race announcer. Let's not waste any more time. This is the Announcer Schedule podcast. Mike Gill, Phil DeMont-Mollin, and we are now joined by the lead race announcer, NASCAR, on NBC. And uh, it's Rick Allen joining us right now to tell us a little bit more about his journey uh, to the booth and some of the other things that you might hear his voice on on top of uh, NASCAR on NBC. Rick, thanks for joining us here on the Announcer Schedule podcast. Well, I appreciate being here, Mike, Phil. Thank you guys for inviting me, bringing me in. Excited to be here with you. And I guess just listening to you know that that call back at Homestead Miami Speedway uh, with Jimmy Johnson uh, joining Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt or Dale Earnhardt. Uh, I didn't know this was going to be like a test are you guys critiquing me on this or how are we how are we going about this process yeah phil's got a bunch of uh, questions he wants to try to uh, re see what your retain is like <laughs> i'm in trouble then because i'm old <laughs> well uh rick tell us a little bit about it. a couple of weeks ago we had larry colmas who does the horse racing triple crown which is a very unique sport to call and nascar very unique as well like uh you know this is something where uh you have kind of uh, become the voice for NBC and that. And tell us kind of your journey on, you know, how you get into calling uh, motorsports and, and, and NASCAR to the point where you are the most recognizable voice in that field. Well, it's exciting. Uh, my path, I think, was different than most people. Uh, I didn't have a background in radio or television uh, before I started. I was actually a public address announcer at the University of Nebraska. And I was announcing football and basketball and virtually every sport that they would allow me to announce. And then uh, I was also a fundraiser, and one of the donors at the University of Nebraska bought a dirt track. Uh, it's Eagle Raceway. It was just outside of Lincoln, and asked me to come and announce at his dirt track. And I had no knowledge of uh, anything of racing, anything to do with it. I dragged race when I was like 16 years old, my own car. But that's about the only racing I'd really followed. Uh, but he talked me into it, said, you know, come out and do it. And I did. And for two years, I was the track announcer there. It's a, just a little uh, dirt track in, you know, Eagle, Nebraska. And a NASCAR announcer came out, uh, or excuse me, a NASCAR official came out and said uh, that NBC and Fox were looking for pit announcers, uh, fresh face, young guys, you know, to get involved in the sport and told me to send a demo tape in. I didn't even know what a demo tape was, so I didn't have anything to send in. About two weeks later, the owner of the track called me and said, hey, they're still looking for your demo tape. And I was like, I don't, I don't have anything. And so ultimately, I sent a commercial that I had done with Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne, a cell phone commercial, so that they could see what I looked like. Um, and then there was a, a couple of the calls from the dirt track that I sent as well. And sure enough, both Fox Sports and NBC called me. Uh, Fox Sports auditioned me. I went to uh, Charlotte, where I live now, but at the time, went from Nebraska to Charlotte, auditioned with Daryl Waltrip. Uh, he's the reason that I don't use my real last name, uh, which my real last name is Schweiger, 
but when I introduced myself to Daryl Waltrip, you know, I said, hello, Mr. Waltrip. Uh, it's an honor to meet you and, and, you know, be sitting beside you. My name's Rick Schwieger. And he kind of, you know, shook my hand, looked down, and about three seconds later, he turned back around. And he said, Schwieger? Ain't no Schwiegers in NASCAR. <laughs> and so right away, I was like, well, this is, this is probably not the start I was looking for uh, during the audition. But it went off great. Um, one thing led to another, and then Fox hired me a couple years later to call the, the at the time, Craftsman Truck Series. Um, did that for, worked with Fox for almost a decade, uh, little, actually a little over, um, calling that Xfinity races, just a lot of different things for Fox. And then uh, NBC called uh, when they took over the broadcast in 2015. So they called me in 2014 and uh, we struck a deal. And now I'm at the, the place I want to be. I always, I always strive to be at the highest level of whatever I'm doing. And so to be able to call the Cup Series races uh, on Sundays is, is really an honor and uh, a great privilege. Now, Phil, are you going to drill him on his uh, first ever race? Do you remember who won? Uh, no, I'm not going to test his memory quite to that extent. But, Rick, thanks a lot for, for, for joining the show. We really, really sure. appreciate you coming on. But I'd love to hear, as far as those championship scenarios and those big races, kind of like the, the clips that we did see, you know, what, what are the differences when that much is at stake and on the line as far as how you approach the broadcast and, you know, how NBC approaches it? And what are some of the challenges when, you know, a championship's on the line or, you know, there's sort of these historically significant moments? Yeah, we've obviously moved from, uh, we've moved in different ways to crown champions in NASCAR uh, from just a, simple point situation to a playoff scenario uh, to the point now where it, you know, it does come down to the final race uh, where we, we won't know who the, the champion is until the checkered flag flies uh, of the final race. And that's very different, but it also makes it a little bit simpler for an announcer uh, because well, I should say I shouldn't say simpler, but it also it makes it simpler, but also a little more difficult because now we have four possibilities of winning a championship. When it was just a point situation, you might come in and you would know who the champion was already, but you would call the race like normal. Now you have four drivers that all have an opportunity, so you you plan, put together. I write things uh, for that very moment, uh, the possibility of whichever driver could win the championship. Uh, I put stuff down so that I, you know, I, every other race I fly off the cuff and just whatever is kind of hitting me at that moment is the way I call it. But when it comes to the championship, I've always thought of my role as being historic uh, because I think every race will be seen down the road. Uh, at some point in time, somebody's going to want to know some historical fact about something that took place. And I want to make sure that I try to tell what happens and why it's a big event and why it's a big win every race. And that's why a lot of people talk about um, my enthusiasm, which I'm a very enthusiastic announcer. And I will get people that will claim that I'm you know, making that up. Well, I know my role is that at some point in time, even if it's a, a guy that wins by seven seconds and the race is never in question. I know that some point in time that race is going to get replayed or at least the finish of that race could get replayed. And I want it to sound like it's a very exciting thing for that person 
to win that race. And I know that it is an exciting thing. I mean, drivers will get out of their cars every single race and say, I just don't know when I'll ever win again or if I've won. And so every race for me is an exciting uh, happening. And so that's why every race, the end of every race, I want to make sure that um, it gives its it gets its due of the excitement that they've put into it, uh, that the people who have watched for you know three or four hours have engaged in it, uh, and that it has a great finish. And another variable I would imagine you have to contend with quite a bit that other sports don't have to deal with is the idea that every track is different. You know, you, this past weekend you were at a road course. Uh, there's the super speedways like Daytona and Talladega. There's the intermediate tracks. There's the short tracks, each with a different feel, a different you know, character to them, but also just the logistics of being able to see all the action. Can you kind of take us through those challenges and, you know, how that differs week to week for you? Yeah, even even repeating, like going back, for example, uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway is going to have its second race of the year uh, with this new next-gen car, and it will be different from the first race. Even though we're going back to the same facility, it's a different time of the year, the temperature's different, the weather's different, and the knowledge of the crews is all different. And so, yes, you you may have the same 38 drivers that are in the field, but they all have a different history at each racetrack because every racetrack is different. And so you prep for that, you plan for that. Uh, we just had a production meeting where we were talking about Atlanta and the fact that Atlanta, uh, I read a book uh, a long, long time ago when I first got in the sport. Phil Parsons handed it to me. Uh, and it was about the history of racing in NASCAR. And it talks about the history of Atlanta and how important the the city of Atlanta and the area of Atlanta was to stock car racing uh, back in the 50s, you know, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And uh, really amazing. So we're, we're going to, we're going to talk about and tell the story of how, you know, here's where the race uh, racing started uh, and how it has changed so dramatically to where Atlanta Motor Speedway is now considered a super speedway. And nobody would have ever thought, you know, a mile and a half racetrack, you would see pack racing and a super speedway kind of feel to this racetrack. But that's exactly what it has become. And so that's just that's one of the interesting tidbits of going to a different racetrack every single week and, you know, kind of knowing the history, learning the history and educating the fans on history. Hey, Rick, uh, you did mention about writing stuff down for each guy, you know, something. How, do you have a, a bunch of cards? Is it typed out? How, where are you writing this down to where, hey, this guy's coming around the back stretch. I need to get what I wrote for this. I think that's fascinating for people to figure out how and why, you know, where you're doing this to get that kind of preparation. So I, for the championship race, I have one sheet that has the four guys on it. Um, and I just make sure that I have my finger on the guy who's going to win so that I don't say the wrong one. But yeah. of course, uh, that would never or should never happen. But, um, but I also, uh, I have some phenomenal statisticians that help me uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, we collect information. Social media is amazing now to where you can get little tidbits about what's happening with you know, a person's life. I make those notes. I have a binder that has every driver in it. Wow. Uh, it talks about all the information of that driver, the career of that driver, um, the you know story of how they got into racing, 
uh, the important individuals that have helped them get to where they are, uh, all that information, because that's what I've always felt my role as the play-by-play -play announcer or the lead announcer in a broadcast is to make sure that we know as much about a person as the fans want to know. So if there's ever a person that wins a race or that has a great run or something, I want to be able to make sure that there's a connection with the fans at home that they can say, oh my gosh, you know, he started out, uh, you know, racing motorcycles like I did, or he was, uh, you know, he has diabetes or, you know, that just a connection that you can make so that every fan at home, you kind of want to have uh, some way to connect with a driver. And that's one of the great things about the sport is that every week we see the same, you know, 36, 38 drivers, but all the fans can have a different fan. I mean, they can be a different, they can have a different favorite driver. They can be a fan of, you know, one driver or multiple drivers uh, because they're going to see them every single week. And that's, I think the uniqueness about NASCAR and how I try to make sure that the fans have as much knowledge as, as they can consume uh, to find out if they have a favorite driver out there or not. Really neat. Uh, Rick, now, uh, off of NASCAR, you, you know, people may have recognized you calling some uh, basketball and some other sports. So kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, how, the difference in doing a basketball game and you've done some Olympic sports. Yeah. So when I first went to NBC, I asked them if it would be possible if I did some of the other sports, uh, because NBC obviously has uh, a lot of uh, Olympic sports and things. My background, actually, I was a track and field athlete at the University of Nebraska. And so I have a, you know, great knowledge of track and field and that area of Olympic sports. Uh, so I asked them if that would be a possibility. They said, sure, uh, that would be great. My son is, uh, is now actually going to be a professional basketball player. And so I also said, Hey, you know, you have the, you've got a 10 basketball. I love basketball. I love college basketball. It's a great, you know, sport for me. And I asked if, you know, they'd allow me to call some of those games. And so that's happened. Uh, of course, motorsports, uh, IndyCar, um, IMSA, there's been, you know, numerous things that I've had the opportunity to uh, call those races and love it. I love every sporting event. That's, that's kind of one of the great things is I've grown up and I've been involved in sports. I've worked in athletic departments and in the sports industry my entire life. I love sports. It doesn't matter what it is. I love sports. And so this is a great opportunity for me working with NBC Sports to be able to diversify a little bit, uh, do some other sports. You know, calling the Boston Marathon was incredible. Calling the track and field world championships, incredible. Um, I think I'm probably one of the only guys to ever uh, call Usain Bolt or only have called Usain Bolt losing races uh every other announcer that's ever called track and field got to call wins i never did so uh i hope that wasn't <laughs> I hope that was one bad for me and usain bolt but uh it, it's just it's been there's been some great opportunities that have presented themselves to me and i've been uh, very blessed and, and thankful that that's been out there and, and been available for me in your NASCAR on NBC on-air team, uh, you guys have some some great chemistry. Uh, a number of these folks with you, Rick, have been around for, for a number of years uh, on-air. 
Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Burton, Steve Letart, your analyst, uh, Marty Snyder, Dave Burns, and Parker Kligerman, your pit reporters. How do you manage it all as far as, you know, making sure each of these voices gets heard and also, you know, just sort of the, the flow of the broadcast to make sure it goes as seamlessly as possible? We've got a great producer. Uh, Matt Marvin produces our NASCAR on NBC uh, content, and he's amazing. Uh, very talented young man. Um, he's, you know, he would be the conductor, I would say, if we were an orchestra. Uh, so he is constantly uh, telling me which direction we go. And then I try to seamlessly weave in, you know, the different voices uh, or the stories. We always, uh, in broadcasting, as you guys are very familiar with, you have a talk back button. Uh, which you can talk back to your producer, director, uh, the different people that are on headset that doesn't go on to air or production. And I think what, uh, what happened early on is I have never been of the mindset that I don't, I don't need to hear myself talk. I don't need to hear my voice on the air. I would much rather be able to not be the conductor, but be the person who can tell a story using multiple people uh, to tell that story. And so uh, in the booth, it's hand signals, it's um, just maybe a look from Steve or Jeff or Junior. Uh, on pit road, you, you know, Marv will tell us, uh, he will come on, it, on in my ear and say, you know, Marty can add on uh, the 48, Marty can add on this, uh, the story, Marty's, you know, got good audio from in car. Uh, from Chris Busher, he'll tell us those things in my ear, then I'm able to weave it in. Or Steve, Jeff, Jr., if they're talking at the time, they also uh, are able to incorporate. I think the chemistry part of it is that we spend a lot of time away from the racetrack together, um, and a lot of time. Uh, we just have similar interests, and we like each other's company. Uh, we've vacationed together numerous times, uh, we just, we just enjoy hanging out with each other. And that kind of, I think that comes across on the air, uh, in the sense that, you know, we're having fun and we love that people can watch the race with us. Uh, they can enjoy the race with us because that's exactly what we're all doing. We're all enjoying the race and trying to make sure to tell the story of what's happening, but really just taking it all in and consuming the race together. Naturally, we talk about the schedules quite a bit for the announcers here on the announcer schedules podcast. And, you know, I don't think everyone realizes that NASCAR is different from other sports where the event starts several days prior to the, the big race on, on Sundays. Um, can you take us through your typical schedule for a race weekend when you arrive at the track and, you know, ultimately uh, head back home or to your next destination? And perhaps there's a story as far as, you know, either a close call or a, a getaway that, you know, our listeners might be interested in as well. So uh, our exec, one of our executive producers um, is Jeff Banky, and he wants us to be at the racetrack the night before any type of broadcast is going to take place. Uh, with the people that I work with, we have an opportunity to travel day of a little bit more um, just because of schedules and availability of travel. And so we will normally get in either the night before the first broadcast or the morning of uh, the first broadcast. We'll spend a lot of time in the garage uh, 
uh, talking to as many crew chiefs, drivers, uh, key personnel that we can, owners. Um, and then uh, you've got production meetings uh, to go over kind of what the big stories are, the things that you want to talk about during the broadcast. Uh, then, of course, the broadcast that you do. And then after the broadcast, we always, um, the booth uh, in particular, we travel together. And so we always kind of break down you know, what we think we did right, what we did wrong, what we want to do better. Um, and so that's, it's normally a three to four day weekend for us. And then, like I said, you know, I, I had meetings yesterday. Uh, I, I'll say the date. Uh, I had meetings on Tuesday. I had meetings Wednesday. Um, we'll talk to crew members and drivers via text on the phone on Thursday, and then normally in person on Friday. Uh, so it's, and then of course, you know, Saturday, Sunday races. So really the only day that we're not doing something that is specific to what we're going to do for the weekend is Monday. Normally that's about the only day that we don't have something that is specific to either uh, the Xfinity Series race or the Cup Series race. Uh, an amazing journey, obviously. Uh, NASCAR race, you know, unlike any uh, other sport where a lot of them are timed, you know, obviously there's no clock or anything. Uh, you're just kind of uh, following it along, uh, the ins and outs of, of, of uh, how a race can go. I mean, uh, is it easy to pace yourself? I mean, kind of explain to the our listeners, you know, the, the, the intricacies of calling a race where – it's very, you know, some of them can be, you can be there for hours, just kind of many people who aren't uh, in tune with NASCAR just saying, Hey, you know, what are you watching? What, what are you paying attention to on race day during a race? Well, Mike, you joked about it, that Phil was going to ask me about my first race. I will tell you that our first race on NBC uh, was at Daytona. It was a 4th of July weekend. Um, we had rain that delayed the race. And it went all the way into the evening to the point where it was about 3 a.m., I think, when we finally finished the race. Dale Earnhardt Jr. had won. But the significant thing about that race that a lot of people will remember when I mention it was as Dale Earnhardt Jr. crossed the start-finish line, he talks about looking in his mirror and you hear a gasp and, uh, you know, like, oh, my gosh, is he okay? Because Austin Dillon got into the catch fence and the car stopped immediately. So a catch fence is supposed to dissipate the speed of these cars. You know, they're going 200 miles an hour and Austin Dillon's car got upside down, got into the catch fence and, you know, tore the front stretch catch fence down. The car came to rest uh, on its top uh, right past the start finish line. Um, but the crews came out and everything that was three in the morning and we had such a long race coming into it. You know, I called the finish of Dale Earnhardt Jr. crossing the line. The wreck happened, and then we stuck around, obviously, and, you know, the mood changes very drastically from elation of Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the race to we weren't sure if Austin Dillon was still alive uh, in the car. The the wreck was so, so... Uh, traumatic and just just devastating to what the car uh, looked like. And so it was interesting because that was the very first race that Jeff Burton and Steve Letarte had ever called. And so they immediately knew, I don't want to say anything. So they actually 
backed up and sat down in chairs. We were sitting there watching the race as it just finished, and we were all excited. And then the wreck, the wreck happened. They literally took a step back, sat down in their chairs, and just looked at me like, "We don't want to say a word. We have no idea what just happened. Wow. You're the you're the play-by-play professional. You take it. You have to prepare for everything. And like you mentioned, you know, races. We've had days that have gone eight, nine hours that we've been on a broadcast, and you have to be prepared for that. Um, you just have to know that there's there's a possibility that weather can affect it. Uh, crashes can affect it, uh, but you have to be on top of you know every storyline you can possibly have, uh, and be able to convey that at any given time. And uh, if uh, right before Rick joined us, we actually had that call uh, to promote you coming on, Rick. So if you want to go back and listen to that call, we did play that uh, exact call that you just chronicled there. So you you heard it from him, and now you heard him explain it. Uh, so I guess. Everything comes full circle, like a Seinfeld episode here. All right, Rick Allen, uh, the lead um, the lead race announcer for NASCAR on NBC. Uh, they will be uh, in Atlanta this weekend, and, of course, the full series for NASCAR uh, on NBC with Rick and the crew, and obviously great stories. Um, it has been uh, really uh, interesting to hear a PA announcer. What's with Nebraska? We had Kevin Kugler on last week on the podcast. All you Nebraska guys are are taking over here. I like Kevin Kugler. Good friend of mine. Uh, worked together when I was back at Nebraska. Great guy. Uh, we tried. We still try to stay in touch. But yeah, um, I think one of the reasons is we don't have accents <laughs> that I know of. I might have a Midwestern accent. Maybe I'm not sure. Well, Rick Allen, we appreciate you jumping on the Announcer Schedule podcast and telling us your story. And uh, listen, everybody, for uh, uh, the NASCAR uh, series on NBC with Rick and the crew. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. All right, Thanks, Rick. That's Rick Allen here. We appreciate him for jumping on. And there you go, Phil. Uh, another interesting, unique story, a PA announcer. I would love to just say, hey, here's my well, – who was in the commercial with him that he, that he got the job? Uh, so he was in a commercial. What, you say? what was it? Tom Osborne? Uh, somebody. Oh, that's right. Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne. There you go. Uh, <laughs> talking about Midwest, right? Big eight, old big eight. Well, uh, I like football. how he's like, oh, I was just like a PA track announcer. And then all, all of a sudden he's doing a commercial with Tom Osborne and Barry Switzer. And that was his demo tape to get a job. I said, man, some guys have all the luck, right? Yeah, it, it's amazing just like kind of the serendipity in, in some of these stories. We've heard it from several announcers, and in, in, uh, including Rick. And, you know, really fascinating to hear him talk about NASCAR, uh, much like Larry Colmus with, with horse racing. It's its own beast, no doubt about it. Now, were you aware that Rick Allen wasn't his actual name? I was not aware of that. That's, that's interesting. And uh, <laughs> There's some news. That was my highlighter moment. We'll do one each week. The highlighter moment was uh, Rick Allen's name is not Rick Allen. How about that? That's right. I like Absolutely. that story. And, that and story. I'd, I'd like to learn more about his son, who he said is on his way to a professional basketball career. Yes, he has uh, two sons. Uh, Eric and Ryan are the uh, son's name. He's been married to his wife, Chris, for over 20 years. So... Uh, Rick Allen from uh, Nebraska. He's now in Charlotte, North Carolina, NASCAR country. And uh, he was kind enough to join us on the announcer schedule podcast this week. Follow Phil, uh, get the Twitter handle, and get all the announcer news at announcer skeds, 
S-K-E-D-S, is where you can follow. Phil tweets out all that information. You can follow us, like, share, subscribe, review. You know the drill. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're on the uh, Sports Media Watch feed with T.J. Reeves, John Lewis, uh, George Offman. Uh, tell me a story I don't know. So you get Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We've got something on the podcast feed. Like, review, rate, subscribe, get the notification. We go live on Thursdays. We drop, and uh, we've had some great interviews. If you just want to hear the interviews, you can listen to those as well. We, we single them out, and uh, we put them uh, in a single notification for you. So that will come out on a separate day. So Rick Allen, Kevin Kugler, Bob Wischusen, Larry Comis, and John Forslin. We've had all of those great play-by-players on the podcast. Okay, Phil, I think we hit on a lot of stuff today. Is there anything you want to uh, add in closing? Yeah, just big thank you once again to, to Rick Allen, the lead race announcer for NASCAR NBC, for, for joining the show. Really fun to talk uh, racing with Rick and to, to learn his story further. I uh, do want to confirm we were talking about uh, Jason Garrett earlier. Indeed, you were correct, Mike, uh, studio analyst for Football Night in America pregame show on NBC. So uh, his debut will be that Hall of Fame game as well. And yeah, uh, a month away from from preseason NFL football and, you know, just about two months away from the, the start of the regular season. College football will be upon us as well. But it's been a lot of fun keeping these stories going uh, here at the announcer schedules podcast. And um, once again, um, just want to give a, a mention of Hank Goldberg, um, you know, rest in peace, Hank Goldberg and uh, appreciate all he's done uh, for announcers, um, you know, far and wide throughout the, the country who he's helped develop as well. So, um, you know, thoughts are with his family and friends and uh, thanks again, Mike, uh, for all that you do. Another great episode. Yeah. And I think uh, Mark Ketchester is going to be coming up on a future edition. We'll be talking to Mark, the play-by-player for ESPN NBA Finals, and he's very versatile. He does a lot. So that's going to be a great story. So we've got Mark, and we're working on some other very cool announcer uh, names that you'll be very familiar with coming up here on the Announcer Schedules Podcast. All right, Phil DeMont Mollen, Mike Gill, that's it for us here. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Announcer Schedules Podcast. See you, everybody. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.